Uh, my name is Sophie Rumanier. I am a filmmaker uh, and uh, I run a small media for education nonprofit uh, organization in Austin, Texas. And we make documentary films and use digital media to uh, educate people about social issues and um, yeah, pretty much about social issues. What kind of social issues do you guys tend to focus on? We uh, we have worked on environmental issues, done a little, a few things on uh, animal rights, but mostly environmental or social justice, human rights type stories. Uh, our most recent film, Yellow Fever, is about Navajo people and uranium mining and the debate over nuclear power. And uh, another film that we're working on right now is about uh, an activist building a radio station. So uh, we, we, <clears throat> we do a lot of different things. What, what's the driving factor in deciding what you're going to document? Generally for the longer documentaries, uh, the story for us has to have a social issue, a social justice quality to it but it does have to be driven by a character who is dynamic uh, and at this point from the community that is affected by whatever social issue or talking about whatever social issue or, or being a part of that, uh, <clears throat> that experience. So uh, generally it's a dynamic character covering an issue from their community and trying to find a way to do something about uh, this issue by educating other people, um, just as we are. It's kind of cyclical. So um, that's what it is so far. But we also work with nonprofits to make media to help them uh, bring voice to their issues, um, such as the Navajo Nation Dependents of Uranium Workers Committee is a group of elder people on the Navajo Nation. They don't use technology very often. I mean, they don't speak English, they don't have computers and such. So we help provide filmmaking services to them free of charge in order to help facilitate their ability to talk about their issues and bring change to their community. It's badass. And when you say we, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Who's <laughs> doing this? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Um, depending on the project, there are different teams. But right here in Austin, we have my husband, Jay Minton, and I uh, operate a lot of the kind of operations that go with our small nonprofit. I do a lot of fundraising and writing proposals and organizing people. And then we have excellent, amazing colleagues that we've worked with. When we were in New Mexico, we had uh, collaborators that we worked with, um, Danielle Block and Amy Sheehy. And here in Austin, we have a bunch of other really talented, driven people who have uh, mostly volunteered their time and uh, and participated in in various aspects of uh, the work, uh, organizing events and uh, 
writing proposals and editing and shooting and and uh, it kind of becomes a a bit of a cooperative in a way, but we're all working towards the same uh, vision in terms of getting these projects done and seeing how far they can go. And how, when did you start doing this kind of work? Like, where? what's your background? Where do you come from? And how did you choose film and social justice as like your avenue of life? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I think the real spark for this came from early travels to the developing world. I mean, going to, I spent time in Argentina when I was young um, and uh, I, I was lucky enough to be able to travel uh, to a number of different countries and that really changed the way I looked at everything. And I, I was inspired to want to make documentaries to bring my friends who are never going to be able to have this experience uh, possibly or maybe not be able to visit this place that I had seen um, to give them that experience, to help people travel without traveling and to give them that broader perspective that I suddenly had and inspired me so much. Now, I did take uh, quite a bit of time between the early inspiration to be a filmmaker and following the social justice route in filmmaking. Um, but to me, it was kind of a progression from being a creative person to then going to uh, experience places where there is a lot of injustice or seeing things from a different perspective uh, through traveling. What inspired you to do travel? Like, how did you get to travel as a young person? That seems like a really um, authentic experience not many people get. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was young, uh, I was lucky enough to travel to different parts of the world uh, because my family has been travel lovers. But after traveling with my family, I also spent... Um, you know, many years traveling around the U.S. and internationally, I just kind of set out to go and see as much as I could and absorb as much information about the world as I could because I knew that as a filmmaker, I needed more stories to tell that had more depth. So I got a backpack, I rode freight trains, I, I, I experienced a lot of different places and different um, different communities and I really liked the differences between the way these communities interacted and I felt that that was something I also wanted to bring to my film so um, after that social justice was just a natural thing from being a traveler I was inspired by punk rock music the music scene wasn't enough it felt like it was preaching to the choir so we wanted to do more in terms of being able to reach a broader audience um, most of the world is not exposed to that not lucky enough to get to enjoy good punk rock music. So we thought that really to get a broader audience and for people to really do something about these issues, we needed to talk to more people. And filmmaking, yet again, was the best route to tell those stories, I thought. Yeah, how did you get involved in punk rock? What was your first interaction with that? Were you a teenager or younger? Actually, I didn't find punk rock till much later than a lot of people do. Um, it was pretty much, I mean, I was in high school, even after high school is where I really found good punk rock music. Um, and it just, it rang to me the truest and the most inspiring music I had heard. I got into Rage Against the Machine, it was very political, and you know, I was kind of an angry teenager, so 
it was so inspiring to hear people singing about real issues like the ones I had experienced and wanted to make films about to, to hear people talking about these things in ways that would make a lot of other people understand. The progression from there went to from making films. We were making films and then we realized that we wanted to do more than just make films because even filmmaking wasn't enough. It was also to get involved with the issue in a more visceral level, not just be, you know, a watcher, a looker, a documenter. And, you know, a lot of journalists or other, you know, art artists might say, oh, well, you know, this is not art then, you know, but I don't really care. It just, we moved from just making the films about the grandmothers to helping them build websites or now with our new film, from documenting a man making changes in his village in Africa to helping build this radio station uh, over there that we're working on now. So that was the next step after. Um, so you guys follow the thread of what the, what the documentation is based on. You take it to the next step and you actually like immerse yourself in whatever community you've documented and continue to work with them. Is that kind of yes. what you're saying? It's really the, I have to say, I think it's the most rewarding part of this work is visiting, being a part of, in some way, these communities where people are struggling and being able to just lend them a hand in some way to participate in making change happen for people right before your eyes, being an ally for them. It's so meaningful to be able to help them in some way. And the gratitude and that relationship is just it's profound. I mean, we were twice this year, twice last year, it was amazing. The community connections that we made with Yellow Fever it was a Navajo community after seven years of spending time out there uh, to really uh be given blankets at our at our big screening where it became a political rally uh for uh compensation and for and for uh environmental cleanup they brought politicians from the Navajo Nation president's office and screened the film and the, all these miners on oxygen all their spouses came in from all over from 100 miles away uh to come and be there for this film screening and at the film screenings, people were getting uh, their blood pressure checked and they were getting checked to see if they were uh, people who had been affected by uranium mining. And for some people, it was the first time they had, we, we was thoroughly advertised, so it's the first time they had made connection with other people that were suffering from some of the same illnesses. They didn't know what it was. And they're like, oh my gosh, maybe that's something that I'm struggling with. So getting more involved there was so profound. In Africa, we were 
also really honored as as a as a part of their community people trying to do something to help out and it's just so profound to be part of that yeah it seems like it's a super collaborative effort too because when you you continuously say we it seems like it it all of a sudden becomes not about the individual it becomes about the movement and the communal aspect of filmmaking and can you talk about that how that feels like creatively to have that kind of camaraderie it's great i mean it's it's really interesting in terms of well there's two there's two two aspects of that one is the camaraderie you have with all these people that are on the crew to make the film happen. There are people here in Austin that will never go to Africa, but it's like they went. They've been as much a part of this as, you know, maybe a chief over there who's helped facilitate something. And then you'll have the community. It's, it's amazing to, to, to find your place in that community and, and give these people a voice. That's really what I feel like our role is, is to give these people a voice to their issues, make them feel heard, and 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 also and inspire viewers to either change the way they think about something or be inspired to do something themselves or um, know that they're not alone. But it's interesting if a community does not really welcome the filmmaking aspect, it doesn't really work. You know, can you tell uh, me an, um, an example of that? Sure. Actually, it was the same trip where I had two, like, that stick out of my mind, two experiences that were challenging. And it wasn't necessarily because the community wasn't totally into it. I believe there was some cultural dif difficulties there in terms of communication. I went to India. I was invited to India to uh, document an Indian marriage and make a film about Indian marriage and, uh, and Hindu mythology archetypes in, you know, in Jungian psychology. And it was a very interesting film. But the main character who was getting married, although she knew someone was coming to make a video about her wedding, she didn't really understand what it meant to make a film about this subject and what it meant to be part of uh, a film that was substantially personal about her. So she wasn't prepared for that. Um, so that's difficult. And then also that same trip uh, later on, I went to Pakistan. And Pakistan was an amazing place to make films. <laughs> I mean, people are talking about controversial issues. They don't necessarily want to be on camera, even if they're performers. These are performers for activist uh, community plays. They go into communities and they help bring voice to an issue by producing a play in that community about the problem. So that way they don't have television. They're illiterate, many folks out there in, in rural Pakistan. And so by performing the play, it was like give, bringing media to them. So I was there to document that uh that experience ended up in a village where they hadn't seen any white people in 250 years. And there's this white girl with tattoos, um, you know, with a camera. And so that was kind of impossible in terms of trying to make the film. Luckily there was another gentleman who could take the camera from me, but there, those were times where it was, we were, I was too much of an eyesore. I was too, too, I stood out too much. I didn't blend into their community because I wasn't prepared. So that's part of it. It takes a long time to, to get um, really involved in a community in the kind of intimate way that requires to tell these films. That's why they take so long to make. It's, I took a lot for granted in terms of assuming that people would have no problem with a camera, even if they were interested in it. Uh, they weren't used to it, and they weren't used to you know, spending time with me in that way. So uh, 
in both of these films, we had ample time to either get to know the main character very well, in this case with our, our colleague Isenia Faga for our Radio Taboo project. He is someone that we've known for years, even if we haven't been in his community for years. Whereas Yellow Fever, it took many years to just get to know the issue, if not the community, because the issue was so complicated between history and politics and science nuclear power, Native American culture, uh, it's all very complex. momentum and funding how do you how do you maintain that process for these films well uh usually so far these two films you know you have a lot of ideas there's a lot of ideas uh floating around the ether a lot of great ideas but for us these two projects that are our main projects each received uh, a seed grant so that was an important impetus to uh, be able to make something big enough to then pursue finishing funds because we uh, we're a small production company there's pretty much two or three of us that are doing all the work in terms of production it's not uh, it's not impossible for us to produce a lot more than we have the technical funding for but we can only go so far so with a C grant we can do a lot more than perhaps other production companies that cost a lot more to do things however uh, it takes us a lot longer to do it so that's the, the momentum is important. And one thing that was, that was valuable uh, during this process of making that film for making Yellow Fever for so many years was doing small creative projects in between because five years of making a film um, was complicated. It took many years to get the second round of funding that was necessary for it to be completed. So oh, we made some short films and one of them was with our friend Isina Faga, the activist from Radio Taboo. So that was a small three-minute art film that was uh, won an award at the three minute, Santa Fe Three Minute Film Festival. And that became the pitch to National Geographic that gave us the seed funding for that project. Wow. So, so in helping yeah. fund one, you kind of like catapulted the other into. Yeah. Well, it was just trying to actually, it was just trying to do something creative in between this long, drawn out process of trying to complete this film just to stay inspired, was to make a, something interesting. And so that became the next project. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly difficult to keep the momentum up for a project like that when you're like, everyone's like, isn't it supposed to be done? Aren't you done yet? And, you know, it was really important to get it right. And we're still getting it right. We're actually having to recut it, but it's because it's going to be broadcast. So that makes it all worth it. What is your goal with these kind of projects? Like, is it to be broadcast? Are you... Are you hoping to like share it on more of an international level? Like what's, what's the main goal? Well, the main goal would be to get the project as far as, as far as it can go in terms of how many people can see it, because the more people you can see it, the more it's going to do something for the cause or have the effect that we're looking for, which is might just be 
opening somebody's mind or getting to know an interesting character that might inspire you in some way. Just pushing it as far as it will go. Getting, getting, getting it, uh, getting it broadcast as far as it can go. So yeah, I mean, we wanted we the whole goal for this project. It was always the goal was to get on public television. So we're happy to uh, to meet that goal this fall uh, on America Reframed. So we're we're really excited to have that happen. Um, but we also want to uh, well on the Yellow Fever website. There um, we are working on uh, expanding our uh, advocacy portion where people have an opportunity to kind of plug into the issue in terms of writing a letter to your senator or, you know, instructions on doing so or um, signing a petition or, you know, donating to one of the groups that's fighting for uh, for justice on the issue or something like that. So that's one aspect. In the Africa film, we had a plan that we may be able to pursue here, which is um, bring the film around with a van or with some generator or something to bring it to these villages, make a version that's specially for them, that will do what these plays did for the communities in Pakistan where they didn't have any media. Mm. They could watch the film, uh, learn something about um, learn something about someone doing something great in their community or a community nearby, but also learn about the issues, uh, really, which their film would be more tailored towards them uh, in that they many people don't vaccinate for polio, HIV is misunderstood, um, in some places it's illegal to be homosexual. So uh, the goal being public education, all these projects, the goal is public education. of like editing and filming do you all take part and take hand in each each element of the process or are you like the editor and yeah we pretty we have relatively defined roles um i do a lot of fundraising uh proposal writing and um and kind of all around producing just you know doing a lot of organizing uh, Jay does a lot of sound, does, also does quite a bit of producing with me. Um, and then depending on who is our other, uh, our, our main character of the film, sometimes they're more involved with other, than others. You know, some main characters are more involved than, than others in terms of being involved with producing and finding those interviews or looking for funding. Um, and then we have our colleagues here who do a lot of social networking. They, there's, a, there's a whole team that comes together for fundraisers. Um, we did a great fundraiser here back in February and we had a huge team, 10 people all running around with flyers and silent auction items. And it was a really big deal. But in terms of production, I usually 
produce, uh, shoot and edit. Jay does sound, he composes music and um, graphics and motion graphics. And uh, we outsource things like animation. And uh, we're hoping that our next film, Radio Taboo, is, is half finished right now. We have a 35 minute film, so we're working on finishing that one. And what I really like to do is um, bring on a, uh, at least one more shooter to, to round out our team and bring them with us over there. We do know some good shooters over there too, so that's a possibility. But yeah, that's pretty much how we do it. But uh, we definitely switch it up. Sometimes I'm holding the mic and Jay's shooting the camera, but we're kind of in charge of our own departments. Nice. And so you went to Africa to film for Radio Taboo shortly after you had had a child. And coming from a woman's like perspective as an artist and somebody who can relate, um, can you talk to me about how that felt um, personally? Yeah, it was challenging. This year, the first year of my daughter's life, I'm thinking it was just the first year. Anyway, we had all these plans made before Nova, I, my daughter was born. So when she was three months old, we moved. And then, uh, you know, about a year later, we were off to Bali um, for shooting a short dramatic piece over there. Then we went to uh, Cameroon. I moved again, actually. Then we then we went to Cameroon in June. It was really uh, a challenge to leave my 15-month-old daughter behind while going off to Africa for two weeks and leave her with my parents. It was really hard to leave her behind. Um, and we, sh we recorded videos of our faces to show her, and we had all this plan um, to try to make it easy for her. Um, and it was really hard to do that, but it was really great to be able to do that. So mm -hmm. happy to be able to do it. It's been, she's, then, then we went on the road with yellow fever and took it around the Navajo nation for like 22 tour dates all around the Navajo nation, screening the film at chapter houses and theaters and schools all over the place. And she came with us and lived in the van while we set up PAs and projectors all over the place. So we took her with us as much as we could, but Africa was just too far. And, uh, too many hazards there besides we wouldn't have gotten anything done yeah <laughs> i know that a lot of artists um in our generation are struggling with that balance to like when do you choose the art over yeah. the family and how do you make it work and so i was just curious if you had any like seeds of advice for people struggling with that you know yeah i think what's one thing that's really important people always talk about oh when you have kids you won't be able to do your art or whatever. And I think that people cannot give up what they love ultimately, maybe for a couple of years here or there, you got to do stuff, you know, but they can't give it up because you're actually not giving your kid more of yourself. You're kind of giving them less of yourself because you are whole with your art, with your craft. You are fulfilled when you're able to do your work and you're a happy person. So if you give that up to, to you know, only for your kids, you, they're they're not getting all of you and you'll be a happier person if you can make that balance happen but it is a challenge how much time in the day do you really have to do all the things you want to do uh, we don't play music at all right now but we will once we you know find the time <laughs> but it's challenging you know it's a real challenge how do you do that but I think balance is all it's what, what it's got to be that's what's hard about we work from home so working from home is challenging we take turns every day yeah it's a positive and a negative huh yeah it's like you're always there, but you're never like, you're in both worlds. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, I try to do like full on, like as much as I can. If I'm going to be there, I try to be there 100%, but it's really hard. Are you planning on um, going back to Africa to finish out this film at all or? Yeah, our plan is to probably do one more Kickstarter campaign and go in, go next summer. So Issa Nyafaga, who is the main uh, character for Radio Taboo uh, and the the man behind uh, this radio station and uh, drilling wells and bringing wheelchairs to his village deep in the jungle after being persecuted journalists. He is going there. He goes there every summer. So he'll go there this year. We went last year. He'll go there this year. And then we, our plan is to go back next year. We just need to raise, um, we just need to raise a little more money. Um, and we've been doing fundraisers and we've been doing Kickstarters and we've been doing online campaigns and it's, uh, it's working. Can you yeah. talk about that experience about like Kickstarter and fundraising and your feelings about that experience? Man, uh, first thing is Kickstarter is like way more than you really ever think it's going to be. It's so much work to keep eyeballs going to your page and keep things going. But uh, I think having a dedicated team and whatever fundraising your effort that you're doing, if you can have find a dedicated team in some way that really love the project or, or if you can pay them, you can pay them whatever it is to have a team is super important because... There are so many things to think about. We had this fundraiser just right now, and we didn't even know we need another person. We had like five or six people. Silent auction items, raffle, movie screening, music, live performance at this nice gallery, food, beverage sponsors. Wow. Tickets and, oh, my gosh, promotion. And it was really an amazingly difficult task. Um, and But it was great. We had a super fun super fun time. Uh, and Kickstarter was also, a, it requires quite a bit of preparation. I would say a month and a half, two months of preparation, a month of Kickstarter. And then it takes, you know, another month somewhere, if you add it all up of all the follow-up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, anyway, the, the process is really quite involved and we're working on, uh, our nonprofit marketing skills in terms of using those tools that advertisers use to really help people get a feeling for what you're, offering in terms of an experience, whether you're going to participate in this radio tower project in a financial way. And there's people that are going over there that are dental technicians. They want to go work on people's teeth. If you get extra shoes, I mean, there's lots of ways to get involved with the, with the subject. So, um, anyway, but the fundraising is a, is an incredible, uh, set all on its own. Grant writing is just something that requires to do a lot of grant writing a lot of uh, patience. you got to be willing to write 20 amazing essays 
and maybe you know you'll hear back from one wow <laughs> how does that get, make you feel <laughs> it is depressing sometimes but when it happens when you get it it's it's it keeps you going so one little grant will keep you going even if it's the wind under your wings that tells you i'm on i'm i'm this is so hard to do but i'm doing the right thing you know so grants is kind of like what makes you think hmm you know i could this 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 project if you have the right project that's why we pick the projects that we do because they have to have certain criteria to be fundable mm. and it has to be a current issue not some you know the story has to be current for people to want to see it Mm. Yeah. Okay. There's a history stuff too, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah. This, no. That's what we're working on. Anyway. Yeah. It all ties in together, um, of course. But let's talk about the the radio tower. So that's radio taboo. It began with a short art film with our friend Isena Faga, who was an exiled journalist in the 1990s. Well, okay. So Isena Faga grew up in a small village uh, in the rainforest in Cameroon. No running water. No electricity. No school. No hospital no infrastructure whatsoever hardly roads are all muddy and you know hard to get to so he went to the city he grew up in a in a in a family where it was not you're not allowed to draw because it was a very strict uh, muslim family so he went to the city where he used his cartoons he started kept drawing he didn't listen to his father he kept drawing kept drawing and he started drawing political cartoons to educate illiterate populations with the newspaper wow. so there's a lot of literary people can't read the paper but they can understand what's going on in the cartoons so he started doing extensive cartoons for a number of newspapers and eventually his cartoons uh, put him in jail because it's not a free press over there so he was in jail tortured for two weeks and kept in this prison for six months and when he got out um, he he knew that he was they were going to keep coming after him so he, he left in exile because his family said, look, this is, this is dangerous for us, too. you got to understand. And, uh, you know, when he went to France, he was like, oh, my God, France is, a, France is terrible. I want to come home. They're like, oh, man, you know, there's trouble here. You better stay out there. So he started raising money with art. He started painting and raising money with art. And then he returned to his village, even though he was still, it was still a little scary to go back. He went back to his village and started bringing wheelchairs uh, for people with polio. Then he started uh, drilling wells. So now he's drilling wells for 40,000 people without having any fresh water. Wow. Um, that, then he's brought solar panels and every year he brings medical teams out there uh, led by this group called Ascovim that brings uh, medical students from Rutgers and other universities to, to go and do these surgeries uh, in places who've never seen a doctor. Uh, so now this project uh, is the film and the radio station are nonprofit and him are teaming up doing this. But the story of the film is about him building this radio station to educate his community about things like HIV, which people don't necessarily fully understand. They think it's a product of witchcraft. Many do. Uh, they don't understand disabilities. Also think it's some kind of bad luck omen, witchcraft. Uh, their uh, people in the Islamic community don't necessarily like to vaccinate uh, their families for polio, so there's still polio. Uh, and there are other important issues, women's rights and other things that are going to be broadcast on this radio station. So the story of the film is about this guy doing all the things it takes to make a radio station work in the middle of nowhere with no electricity 
uh, in a country where people may not want to hear all these interesting things about HIV. And there's a reason why people don't know about it because it's taboo to talk about. Mm. And that's why it's called Radio Taboo. So it's a, it's a really amazing project. So, so far we have a radio tower that's 150 feet tall wow. in this remote village. It's a proper radio tower built by national radio engineers and half a film. Wow. <laughs> that is all the lead of his past and up to the point that we are at now. That is, we have half a film and half a radio station. And now we're just using this tool that is what we've created already to then um, finish it up. So, um, how is the so, reception yeah. going so far? I know you've shown it at a couple of different states, theaters, et cetera. Yeah, the the enthusiasm is overwhelming. Uh, the reception for this film is, it's really powerful. And it may be because we're, you know, as filmmakers and artists, you grow with every project. It may be because this is such a, a foreign and amazing place that people are seeing. Maybe because our main character is really dynamic and the project is is uh, is exciting. But people really like it. And that's really... Um, it's really awesome. It's going to make the whole thing easier and faster to complete. And really, you know, after doing this, it makes us want to do more radio stations and do more public education in the community. Another thing our nonprofit is working towards is bringing journalists and women's issues, uh, you know, advocates together in Cameroon because the media there doesn't cover women's issues. Hmm. Uh, and so to get these groups in the same room, they can begin to talk about what are some issues that journalists might want to cover, uh, some contacts for those journalists to have within that, uh, those women's issues communities, they could write more stories. And so that's very much inspired by the International Center for Journalists, uh, which is a nonprofit that my grandparents helped found that does similar work in the developing world in terms of helping people use media um, to to raise awareness uh, on issues and uh, about journalist protection. And how has your reception been out there um, as far as like culturally? I know you were talking about your experience in India and such. What's, what's your experience been like in Africa? Africa is totally different kind of shooting experience than I've ever been in. People see the camera and they say, shoot me, shoot me. Oh, here I am. I'm here, I'm here. And that is the opposite of many of the other places hmm. uh, that I traveled uh, and have made films in. And it is a real delight and uh, a much more relaxing way to shoot. I mean, you get a lot of people waving at your camera, which is a little silly, but people are excited about being featured. They're excited about being on camera, whereas... Uh, I don't feel that we're intruding. People are, are people are pleased and flattered, as opposed to um, other places where they, there there may be some danger or a cultural issue that comes from being documented in somebody's film. Do, so yeah. Do you think that the community understands fully what is going on with this film because of all of the censorship that's there? Do you do you think that they are going to be pleased with the outcome of this film once they realize the social issues that you guys are kind of opening up? Well, they will certainly know the whole story when uh, when they begin to hear broadcasts from their radio station. 
how will they receive it? You know, we are going to make a version that's more for them because they're not really going to understand some aspects of what's going on. Also, it'll have to be in French. Um, but And we also want to push more of those kind of those issues for them to understand. There are people in the community that will not be happy when they see this film. But... Um, that might be a good thing. That That's probably, you know, they won't be happy because these are things that have always been considered taboo to talk about. Um, and, but they will be happy in ways that will make sure that, you know, everybody has 15 seconds of fame if they were ever documented. That's kind of what we try to do for our community is let people see themselves because people in, in that part of Africa, they've never seen, you know, a television. They don't know what, you know... I, what I like to do with kids in the developing world is to turn the viewfinder back where they can see themselves. And uh, it's amazing to see how the delight in their eyes when they, uh, they see themselves on TV. It's a mirror. Then, you know, I didn't even see a mirror, maybe a tiny sliver of one the whole time we were there. So people aren't used to seeing themselves. So uh, the short answer is there will be people that will be mad about the content, but there, I think that will bring a lot of joy in general to the community. Is there like a, per, a new person that you've met on that travel to Africa and, um, specifically that you're like, wow, you're an amazing human being. And can you tell me? About Absolutely. Them? You should have her on your show. She's amazing. Uh, her name is Hilda B. And she is a national radio host in Yaoundé, which is uh, the biggest city in Cameroon. She does a call-in show at noon every day where she talks to people all over Yaoundé. And she does a show called Women on the Move that really that features people doing interesting things uh, and really being, you know, go-getters in whatever field or whatever they're doing. And she's quadriplegic. She has no use of her limbs. Very little. She can kind of use her arms a little bit, but she's in a wheelchair. She's, she's nearly paralyzed, but she does all of this. And now she's gotten an Obama fellowship or something of this nature to come to the U.S. for six months uh, and be a part of a program to help her advance her career. And she's an amazing person. She's gentle. She's strong. Um, she's... She's just a real uh, joy to spend time with. Hilda B. She's fabulous. And she goes out in the jungle. She'll help train uh, the journalists for Radio Taboo. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's amazing. And how do you, how do you get trained? Like well, um, yeah, so the thing is is these people that will be trained are going to be citizen journalists. They didn't grow up and go to school. Many of them may not even be able to read. Uh, you don't know, but they they will be the voice of the community for the community. And so there will be journalists and radio uh, personalities and engineers that will come into the village and do trainings with these people. Also, uh, we will be helping them to understand the citizen journalist code of ethics that is, you know, there's some basic guidelines on how to cover news and to be responsible. Uh, they'll use, learn how to use equipment. Uh, this whole radio station is going to be run on solar power, so they'll have to use, learn how to use computers and equipment. Someone will have to be trained to repair things. But there is the, the, the first guy that Isa ever got a wheelchair for 
uh, he was 12 years old then, uh, and now I think he's 20. Um, and he uh, is a victim of polio, but he will be for sure one of our reporters. He's in, featured in the film. Uh, and he will also be likely the repair guy because he is really good with electronics. He is also the local football coach from his wheelchair. So there's another really inspiring person there who's doing great things, uh, still finishing high school. The high school's only been there for three years, uh, brand new. And uh, so, yeah, people will be trained how to use these little voice recorders and we're not producing the content. Our participation is is kind of is is broadcasting, um, and also we make sure to be with things like this. We make sure that we are not we're ideas people, but we are not uh, we're not pushing where community members aren't already pushing. Mm. So we're just kind of adding fuel to the machine uh, in a different kind of way um, by bringing media attention to the issues they're uh, trying to raise awareness about. They bringing them a voice. So they being those that are trying to affect what we would consider positive change. Mm. Uh, we are giving them a voice to share their perspective. Yeah, you know, nuclear advocates or, or, or religious people may not really like some of the things that were, you know, I should say nuclear advocates for the Yellow Fever film and, you know, evangelicals, for instance, in central Cameroon, they're not going to like some of the things we're talking about. So there will, there will be, ad, there will be people that don't like it, but, um, it's definitely less of uh, we're not coming in with our big finangled, uh, you know, American ideas. We're just uh, we're just giving a microphone to those folks that are already there. for a second and I want to talk about your music and I know you haven't been doing music that much but um, I've always been really inspired by you as a musician and um, talk about your band elected officials and what it stands for and what you guys are about awesome we are going to play um, some shows in Santa Fe in July actually so awesome um yeah, the elected officials uh, is our punk rock band, and we're planning shows right now. Our drummer just had a baby too, so it gets uh, gets more complicated as you get more kiddos around. But uh, the elected officials is a really uh, an incredibly fun band to be a part of. I gotta say, we are always laughing and having a great time, even though we're we're talking about serious stuff. We're talking about big box stores taking over American culture. We're talking about uh, the Cold War in Pakistan uh, affecting, you know, this this jihadist movement over there in the Middle East. We're talking about, um, 
we're talking about Aung San Suu Kyi, who's a, a political, uh, former political prisoner in Burma, who is, a, is, a, is an important leader uh, in Burma right now, uh, Myanmar. And we're talking about those kind of issues. And it's very, I got to say, it's very uh, satisfying to just sing about these issues, talk about these issues, rock out about these things without taking, again, five years to make a movie about it. So mm. it's great to just be there and brainstorming and ranting with people that feel the same way we do about uh, all these different things. I love it when we find another political band that has a similar stim similar idea and we just get so fired up. I mean, the music doesn't even have to sound the same hardly at all. It's just the fact that we're talking about these issues makes gets a fire under some people's guts and definitely under mine. I mean, we have incredible musicians. I mean, our drummer and our bass player who live in Santa Fe have been playing for 20 years. I mean, our drummer, Shane Pennington, is playing on the same drum set he's been playing on since 1988. Wow. Uh, and then Jay and I live in Austin, so uh, guitarist and singer. So it's kind of a, it's a bummer that we're not in the same town because when we were in the same town, we would see each other twice a week. Now we see each other, you know, once, you know, really intensely for a week every couple months. But we're keeping it going. We did go on tour uh, while my little baby was in the womb, which was a challenge. It was it was it was challenging to be on the road. I mean, we'd be pulling into a parking lot. These guys would be setting up the gear to play, and I would be cooking, you know, polenta and spinach in the parking lot because I wanted to make sure to have a well balanced meal because I was pregnant and needed to have this kind of food and vitamins and that kind of thing. And then after the show, everyone's up at the strip club, and I was probably, like, so tired, I'd just lie down, you know. Um, <laughs> we're going to be doing some more shows pretty soon. It's great. The passion. Some people get so passionate about this stuff. Uh, I just, I love it. It's, it's Do you guys have groupies? We have uh, dedicated fans uh, <laughs> who are, who really love our music. And, uh, you know... Second time we played in Denver, all these kids knew the words, you know, it's just, it's great. You know, we, that just makes you feel good. And it, it's really great. New Mexico has a really fun punk rock community. It may not be big and, you know, busting and full life, but there's a really great community there. And we miss those guys a lot. Austin's incredible. There's loads of great bands. The community here is really awesome, but we really are a New Mexico band and, it's really, uh, it's really tough not to be there. That was the hardest part of moving away was the band and missing our friends and community there. So, but we look forward to playing some more shows real soon. What was your introduction to punk? And you're the you're like the lead singer of this mm -hmm. band, basically. And when did you realize that that was something that you were going to do? I know that you have a connection with Thailand in punk rock, and I want to know more about that. I see these awesome. pictures and I'm like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, I went to Thailand in 2000, the year 2000, and uh, I went there. I was doing body piercing and wanted to learn traditional tattoo work, so I spent some time there and met these punk rock dudes, and they had this little punk rock bar and tattoo shop, and we really hit it off. We had a super fun time. <laughs> And we ended up opening a shop together, and we had this punk rock bar, and there's a tattoo shop upstairs, and there's a fireman's pole you could slide down, and 
there were bands that bands and punks from all over the world came through and it was uh it was a really cool community to be a part of uh we organized shows um in bangkok and in chiang mai we pretty much had you know organized the early punk rock scene uh in thailand which is now exploding with awesome bands and really a lot of great stuff but we were definitely uh pioneers back then it was kind of it's kind of like the 80s there now for punk rock it is really thousands of punks yeah i mean it, southeast asia in general is really it's really great uh punk rock scene malaysia uh is incredibly political singapore is a lot of straight edge which you might expect but very well organized and Indonesia is just a stew of amazing punk rock distros and labels and bands playing. and It's really amazing. But in Thailand, I had a band and we had the bar and organized shows and uh, wrote for magazines about music. And it was, um, it was really fun to be an expat over there. And it, so the band was pretty funny because it, the band was half... A Thai guys, two Thai guys, and two American guys, and the American guys did not speak Thai, and the Thai guys did not speak English, but I spoke both. So, but I wasn't playing an instrument, so it was kind of funny to have to describe. He sang two of the da na na, you know, the two of the da na na, and then do on the third one we do the ba ba ba. So <laughs> it was pretty funny to do the translation there. So it's a five piece, and um, we played uh, we played a lot. We recorded an album. It was a really fun uh, project to be a part of and to be there during that time. We organized shows in my buddy's uh, boy go-go bar. Like once a month, all these kind of sleazy, kind of pervy guys would leave and it would be filled up with punks and metalheads and all these like CDs for sale and people breathing fire and, and dancing on poles. And it was awesome. <laughs> That sounds so rad. <laughs> it was awesome. Have you ever considered doing like a project that's maybe a little bit lighter that focuses on like a like a like a kind of a niche music scene like that Thailand punk scene or something? I would love to make a film about Southeast Asian punk and looking at the uh it would be awesome just to do even just to do a band tour uh, documentary that that went deeper than a band than a tour documentary, but you went through the journey of exploring these places with a band who is going through various things or whatever cultural immersion, which is always funny. Um, and you know, each country uh, I wrote, I did some did some organizing of gigs uh, with other bands from Singapore and Malaysia. And I did some traveling down there with those guys. And uh, there's, it's really interesting how culture affects the music scene. Uh, and I really like that. And it's really obvious to me to see how the culture is affecting the scene. And in fact, what was really interesting is Thailand's music, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, Thailand's music got much better once there was more political unrest. Everyone was so happy that they really didn't have a lot of meaty music topics to sing about. Now, I, I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. The music got better. They're pissed off now. They have, lot, they have things to be pissed off about. It's idyllic when we lived there. There was no political unrest. There were no you know riots in the street. Um, everybody loved Happy Thailand and no one was angry. But 
So now there's there's a lot more to sing about. But uh, in short, I would love to make that film. It's just, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to fund that film. Yeah. But maybe if I start thinking about it, I could go there. Because I have incredible network of people and incredible access to the community. And I would love to take my band to tour there. That would be the most awesome. But it would actually be more awesome to tour as a filmmaker with bands that don't know anything about Southeast Asia because it would be really funny to see them have that experience, you know. It'd be really funny for viewers to see people trying to figure out how to use this toilet or not understanding some cultural thing that's just hilarious. So maybe that's something to put out in the universe is something to to try to develop. A friend of mine is writing a book right now about Thai punk rock. So we'll see uh, if he gets some, some inspiration there. That'd be badass to see. Hopefully yeah. that comes through. So what, yeah. so, so what's a story, um, a, like a culture clash story that you have from your many travels? Um, something that is just so ridiculous <laughs> that you feel like you can share. I just, the, I have to tell Jay's story because it's a funnier story than I can think of right now. And I was just telling someone that story, actually. In Thailand, there is a... Jay is my husband, and we were there recently. And he was... he was uh, He's learning Thai, but he, 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 he didn't know very much at the time. And he was visiting a friend of ours at a bar who was trying to, you know, fix his bar up, paint it or whatever. And so there wasn't anybody there, really. But Jay didn't know where else to go, so he just kind of hung out. And the guy... He was helping the guy fix his bar up and whatever. He said, hey... You know, the guy doesn't speak any English. His name is Pisua. He's a friend of mine. And he gave him a shot of this whiskey that's medicinal whiskey. It's herbal and it has ginseng and tiger penis, some people will say, or like, you know, cobra's venom or something. It's supposed to, you know, and, and this guy was trying to explain to Jay the 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 medicinal value of this particular uh, herbal whiskey tonic. And... <laughs> to explain it to him, he grabbed his balls, he grabbed Jay's balls, and he and he stuck his finger out and was pointing at him. <laughs> Jay was like, this perfectly nice guy, he's grabbing my nutsack right now. He was just trying to explain that this was good for erectile function. This oh. was a really good, it's a, it's a virility booster. But, you know, and then once he figured it out, oh, you know, okay, it's a personal space thing that maybe Thai folks weren't necessarily knowing it would be so particularly invasive to Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, but like an ice cream sandwich over there is uh, a hot dog bun with, um, with you know, scoops of ice cream in it. That's an ice cream sandwich. It's on Wonder Bread, you know. It's hilarious, ice cream sandwich. <laughs> there's, you know, there are so many silly things that um, that expats have to go through, or Thai people, or whoever in the, any part of the world have to deal with when they're dealing with someone who doesn't understand their culture. There's just a lot of comedy to be had there, trying to figure out, you know, and there the toilet is kind of in the ground of a squatter of a toilet, and they have this little hose with a spray thing like you'd spray in your sink here. And some people might not know what to do with that, you know, they're trying to brush their teeth, you know. It's funny, you know. <laughs> it's funny to see the ridiculousness of it all. Juice, and I can't break loose. Hot, 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 hot,
And that's kind of the best part. And that's what, you know, being inspired to make films and all that was so much about those cultural moments where the one of the most valuable things to remember was actually my way is just one of many ways. And in experiencing another culture, you get an opportunity to look at yourself through their eyes. And that's without all this American ideas. It's with their ideas. And it's very difficult to break yourself down like that or to be broken down like that. I know this after being deeply involved with one girl with five Thai guys opening a bar and I didn't know the language. I mean, it was an amazing experience. So it was really cleansing for all of us, I think, to get this other perspective. Mine was an American perspective on that. There's my, their perspective on where I came from or, or things I thought were normal was equally as incredibly rewarding to learn about because it forced me to think about things from a totally different point of view. Do you have some seeds of knowledge and words of advice for artists and documentarians or filmmakers that are trying to start a need to know um, from a perspective of somebody like you who's been around and done it? Like, what can you drop? I have to say that the most important thing that I am learning as a person that produces media or artwork or anything, it's just as much about what they want to see as it is about what you want to create. So know your audience, know who you're talking to uh, in whatever form or if you're making a product or you're making a film or you're making a song. I think being truly creative and free in your creativity is awesome. But what's even more awesome is having people really get what you're trying to do. And it requires sensitivity to where they're coming from to then produce something they can digest. So know your audience and I guess be persistent and find funding because otherwise you find yourself feeling tapped out. What's some advice to learn about your audience? Okay, so if we're producing a film for a public television audience, who watches public television? Is it kind of more old folks uh, or is it, you know, is it what's the demographic? So it's kind of more technical. What's the demographic? Who, who watches that? Or what kind of people are going to be watching my film? You can never tell a funder that your, your audience, they ask, who's your audience? My audience is everyone from 10 to 99. That means you have no audience. It's being more specific so you can speak to their values. Sometimes people want to know, film, film grants will want to know, you know, demographics. They want, they want to know that you know who you're talking to. If you're selling a product, and your core, core audience for your product can't afford your product, you got to know their demographics, got to know where they're coming from. Uh, if, if you're trying to educate people about a culture, don't assume they know anything, but also don't insult them. I think the main thing is persistence and confidence, and finding a good team or a teammate is incredibly valuable. It took mm -hmm. me so long to find a good teammate that could really work together well. Um, you know, he's my husband and father of my child and my bandmate and my teammate. So we definitely found the right guy, but it, uh, it's, it's challenging. Find a good team, try to follow through and as much as you can. And, uh, what we're doing now is just 
trying to pull all of our all the things we've done and put them together so people can see them so we can actually show off our talent or or whatever so we can continue to pursue our goals i mean it's like packaging you could be the best artist in the world but if no one gets to see your art it's a bummer it's hard because you want to say that it's just for yourself but if you don't have that mirror or that way of seeing yourself through somebody else's eyes, like, is it worth it? <laughs> well, but you know, it, it, like for instance, when we went on tour with the elected officials, there were some shows where there really weren't that many people dancing, but there were one or two guys that were totally rocking out. They went home and they were inspired and maybe they wrote a song and maybe they, um, Maybe they were, you know, inspired to look something up or tell someone else about it. And so as a filmmaker and as a musician, I try to take, uh, to not take for granted and to remember that the few people that you're affecting are also affecting great change. If, if it's not about change, you're affecting somebody artistically and helping them see something uh, in your art or your you're inspiring them to make art or you're giving them a different perspective or, or whatever, those kinds of things. Uh, you're making them smile, you know. You're doing something, even if it's for a few people, it's something that's, it's contagious, it's viral, it means something. So even if you have a small audience, I guess, you know, know that that can be equally as valuable in some ways and I think it's important I like I, I prefer if artists and filmmakers and musicians don't get too competitive because it's not like we're all getting rich off this you know we're being creative we're enjoying ourselves let's be supportive of each other and be inspired by each other and be the wind under each other's wings and and uh, if someone else gets that grant awesome check out what they're doing learn something from what they're doing you know take away every grant proposal you write you learn something and every free job I ever did making films always got me something I got paid for. So volunteer and participate in some way if you can, you know. That's what I say. Is there anything that you want to get off your chest, say to the world um, on this forum? Now is your chance. <laughs> oh, the pressure. <laughs> I have found that one of the most satisfying things that I could do in my life is to participate in affecting change in some way. And I don't know that that's, in, like, I don't know that everybody gets off on it like I do, but to me, one of the most satisfying things that I have been able to do is affect change in the lives of other people who really need it. And I just, I put it out there that if you haven't, try to do something like that in some capacity. Uh, I recommend it. It's, it's, uh, it's uplifting. It's, uh, it makes you feel like that you're participating. If you feel like things aren't going the right way, the environment is having a hard time, political situation is difficult, participating just a little bit, it really kind of makes it easier to swallow. All the difficult things that you see going on in the world, it makes it easier for me to 
just be at peace with what's going on in the world. If I feel like I'm doing just a little bit and I just hope that others can get off on it as much as I do, even just little things, it's not like it has to be a big deal. So that's what I say. I, I, I found a lot of satisfaction in, in being creative around these issues, but you can't do everything. You can just do the best you can. Just do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just do something, actually. That's another thing I wanted to say, is being a part of the conversation, that's also sometimes enough. I mean, just start the conversation about energy. Where does our energy come from? What's to do about it, you know? Just just, just thinking about it is, is also valuable. That's why, you know, we like to make films to help people think and talk about it, but, you know, just opening your mind is also equally valuable. Just can't afford to spare the ones to test them out! 